0: the world is ensouled you know, that, that the world is vastly more holy, more incandescent, more sacred
1: than we realize. Today I'm talking to New York Times bestselling author, Sy Montgomery. Sy is a multi-award winning nature writer and author of 28 books including The Soul of an Octopus, a surprising exploration into the wonder of consciousness. It is a deeply touching and enlightening personal story. Sai writes for adults and children for print and broadcast in America and overseas in an effort to reach as wide an audience as possible at what she considers a critical turning point in human history. We are on the cusp of either destroying this sweet green earth or revolutionizing the way we understand the rest of animate creation, she says. It is an important time to be writing about the connections we share with our fellow creatures. It's a great time to be alive. Welcome, Sai Montgomery. Hi Sai, you're very welcome to the Nature Magic podcast.
0: So thrilled to be on!
1: <laughs> you have an incredible life story, um, inhabited by orangutans, tigers, pigs, so many animals. And I personally discovered you in the beautiful book, *The Soul of an Octopus*. Would you like to tell us how you became a nature lover? Well, before I could speak,
0: before I can remember. I always loved animals and I think most children are that way. My parents told me that um, when I began to toddle, uh, I was born in Germany and they took me to the Frankfurt Zoo and they let go of my hands for a minute and the next thing they knew I was in the hippo pen. So I I thought that was just great. They were not so thrilled about it but I've always been drawn to animals. And I, I think human beings are naturally drawn to animals until recently we were hunter-gatherers right so if we didn't pay attention to the natural world you were quickly gonna not be able to find food or get eaten by somebody else so I think i I just did not have that that love squashed growing up all of my my closest friends were animals and to this day even though you know i I have human friends who I adore I married a human. But to this day, a lot of my my friends are animals and I'll be talking to somebody and say, oh, you know, one of my friends got run over by a truck and we're now doing physical therapy. And they're like, oh, my God. Well, I'm talking about a turtle or, you know, one of my friends has an injury on her mantle and I'm talking about an octopus but it's lovely to have friends of different species. So much better than just having one kind of friend.
1: Well, that is a really great message. And you did mention you were volunteering at a turtle sanctuary. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
0: Oh, I'd be thrilled to, oh my gosh. Well, um, it makes us more sisters under the skin, actually, doesn't it? Um, I'm working at Turtle Rescue League, once a week and I'm working on two books about turtles. Um, And I'm getting to know about 150 individual turtles who live in the basement of this suburban house in Western Massachusetts. These two lovely ladies, Alexia Bell and Natasha Nowick, made it their business to start rescuing turtles and not just turtles that people don't want as pets but also turtles who are hit by cars um, turtles who have been chewed by dogs uh, turtles who are unwanted and turtles who are laying eggs in your yard in a place where you can't you know where where there's a pile of dirt that's going to turn into a porch they will send people to immediately dig up those eggs and then take them back to Turtle Rescue League and incubate them and then release them back into the wild.
1: And what they're
0: doing is so amazing. They're literally putting back together the broken world. I mean, when you look at some of the injuries that these turtles have, their shells are smashed. You know, one foot is gone. They've got one eye hanging out. They can heal these turtles. Sometimes it takes years, but then you can put that turtle back in the wild and she'll lay eggs for another 50 years. So it's a Absolutely. huge thing to be able to do. And it's a real pleasure to get to know these turtles of all these different species. They're such individuals.
1: Oh, my goodness. And they're doing that all in the basement of their house. That's incredible.
0: Yep. They are wonderful, wonderful people. And they they understand, you know, most people like turtles, but many people think that there's not a whole lot going on with a turtle. They may not be able to recognize how individual their personalities are. They think that turtles are silent and that they just never do anything, that they're just kind of animated pet rocks. But actually, turtles are surprising in so many ways. Many of them vocalize, and some of them even vocalize before they're out of the egg. And they can be quite fast too. And their individual personalities are striking. There's one whose name is Nibbles. She's a snapping turtle. And you put a banana in her tank and she murders this banana. I mean, oh, that banana is, it looks like a volcano ate the the banana. (laughs) Then there's my friend Fire Chief, who's a 38-pound snapping turtle. And when I feed him, I can feed him by hand, even something as small as a monkey biscuit. And he's very gentle taking it out of my hand. Wow. And I have another friend there named Percy. He's a box turtle who's over 100 years old. And he is like the boss of the beach. You take him out of his habitat and he just comes storming toward you like he owns the place and he does. And other turtles are shy and other turtles are snuggly and other turtles are kind of crabby and other turtles are just so
1: sweet. They all have their little personalities. I totally do. And you had a great friend, Christopher Hogwood. Do you want to tell us about him?
0: Chris was like a great big Buddha master. He was one of my greatest teachers ever. Um, He came home, he was a runt among runts. He was so tiny, he fit in a shoebox, and he grew to 750 pounds and a huge slop's empire that extended long past the boundaries of our little town of Hancock, New Hampshire. He would get stuff mailed to him from other states he would get cards from overseas and every year when we would have town elections he'd get write-in votes for some town office people <laughs> loved him and you, we didn't actually mention
1: he was a pig
0: oh I didn't <laughs> mention that yes he <laughs> Yes, some of my friends have
1: a, uh,
0: a little nose disc and a curly tail.
1: Yep. Oh, he sounds lovely. <laughs> I, and you did write a book about him as well. So I'll put all the books in the show notes for, if anybody wants to check on the links of all those stories. I know for a fact um, from reading your book, The Soul of an Octopus, that you're deeply spiritually connected to nature. Is there a spiritual experience you'd like to share with us? Well, just
0: about every time. I'm with any animal, and this includes our dog, Thurber. I really feel like I'm looking into one of the faces of, of God. And as someone, you know, I, I create books. What I, I love, I love my own books having created them. I feel that one of the greatest ways that we honor the creator is by honoring his creation. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time in India and and Bangladesh um, writing a a book on tigers, and they have a different, a a slightly different view of, of God. They believe that all the different gods are really the aspects of the one God but they see the face of God in so many different places. They see a cow and the cow is a goddess. They see a tiger and they see Doc and Roy, the the tiger God, or they see the tiger or a goose or an elephant as a vahana or a, a conveyance, a vehicle for one of their gods. They see the holiness in all of animate creation. And I really experience that when I'm with any animal. It's a holy experience. And getting to know these different forms of life, who in some cases are so vastly different from us, they seem like something from outer space. To me, what's that showing is that the world is in you know, that, that the world is vastly more holy, more incandescent, more sacred than
1: we realize. I think we just have to let that sit for a second. The main character in The Soul of an Octopus, I mean, you really did convey the soul of that animal Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about her?
0: I'd love to. Um, Well,
1: first, I'd like
0: to introduce the first octopus I ever met and tell you what that's like, because very few of us actually have the opportunity to really get to know an octopus because, you know, they live in the ocean and we live in land. But um, the first time I met an octopus, her name was Athena. And I went to the New England Aquarium and asked to go behind the scenes. And my friend Scott Dowd lifted the lid on the octopus tank. There always has to be a lid or they'll crawl out and get into mischief. And the minute he lifted the lid, this huge creature who probably, well, maybe weighed 40 pounds and was four feet long, um, but she was a large animal. She came out from her lair. She turned bright red. And she came right up to meet me and her eyes swiveled in its socket and locked onto my face. And her arms came boiling up out of the water and her suckers started reaching for me. So I asked, can I touch her? And Scott said, yes. And so I plunged my hands and arms into the water and quickly my skin was covered with, with dozens of these questing soft, Sensitive suckers, which are not just taste and they're not just feeling you, but they're tasting you. She's experiencing what I taste like and knowing me in a chemical way. And she let me pet her head the first time I met her. It, it was just an amazing experience. So I kept coming back and coming back. Octopuses don't live very long. And alas, after just a few visits, She, they only live three to five years. And by the time you meet them, they may already be three years old because nobody wants to have a little itty bitty giant Pacific octopus. They want a giant Pacific octopus in their aquarium. So the octopus who is kind of the star of the soul of an octopus was Octavia. And I met her after Athena had died. And at first she was very feisty and wanted nothing to do with me or anybody else, but, She, uh, I offered her fish again and again, and she just didn't want to take the fish. And then one day, she grabbed the fish, she grabbed the thing I was handing her the fish with, with this grabber, and then she grabbed me and started pulling me into the tank. And I was, of course, elated because now we were having an interaction, although I'm sure not everybody would like that. Well, after that, we were friends, and every time I would visit her. It was clear she was eager to see me because she would come out of her lair, turn bright red with excitement and come up to meet me and come up to play with me. It was just an, an amazing friendship. And I got to know her um, until almost the very day she died. She laid eggs at one point. It's one of the last things octopuses do. And I got to watch her tend her eggs, which were alas unfertile um because there was no Mr Octopus there you know i'd i'd love to share some of the last moments i had with her which to me showed me the depth of the relationship that we had and having a friendship with an octopus is sort of a miracle when you think of it because here is this creature who can change color and shape It has no bones and pours its body through a tiny space. And here you are, you know, this jointed, bony air creature. And the powers an octopus has compared to the powers that we have, you know, they're almost magic. They have venom. They can shoot ink. They can taste with all of their skin. They're incredibly dexterous. Each one of their suckers can lift depending on the size of the sucker. Um, A big male octopus's three and a half inch sucker diameter sucker can lift 30 pounds, and each of their arms has 200 suckers. So, the strength of this animal, you know, if you realize someone like that can be your friend, it's just a transformative experience. And after I had known Octavia um, for over a year, She laid eggs. And when you lay eggs, if you're an octopus, you just never leave your eggs. The the, uh, wild females do not hunt. They stay in their lair. They do nothing but care for their eggs, fluff their eggs, protect their eggs from predators. And Octavia did not have any way of knowing that her eggs were infertile. And she was a very devoted mother. Well, she spent 10 months caring for these eggs. Normally it would be six months in the wild. But they weren't fertile, they didn't hatch. Until finally, you know, she just got so old that just like a person, she began to fall apart, just having systems failure. And I saw one day when I came in that she had a big infection on her eye. So um the keeper, Bill, my friend Bill Murphy, uh decided to move her so that she wouldn't be on display, so that she could be in a quieter place and a dark place like she would have been in her lair had she lived in the wild well it's not that easy to move an octopus even when she's sick and dying because they're tremendously strong he sent his uh helper a lovely man um to try to move her from her lair and she just would not budge but the minute bill put his hand in the water and let her touch and taste him. Octavia recognized him and let go of her rock and let him pick her up and put her in a bucket and move her behind the scenes. Well, I came to see her as soon as I could. And I wondered, you know, for 10 months, she'd been stuck in that lair and we hadn't had any interaction because she didn't want it. 10 months is a huge portion of an octopus's life. If they only live three to five years, That's the equivalent of decades of a person's Mm. life. So she hadn't seen me for decades. And when I opened the top of that tank, she floated right up. She looked into my face. I offered her a fish and she just dropped it. She wasn't interested, but she wanted to see me. And she went to considerable effort to, to float up from the bottom of the tank to interact with me and to kiss me with her suckers and let me stroke her, even though she was tired and she was sick and she was dying. And I don't know what love feels like to an octopus, but I know she cared enough to be with me to go to considerable effort. And I do know what she and the other octopuses that I got to know meant. me they showed me a whole other way of being and they showed me a whole other way of loving they showed me a way to expand my compassion in a manner
1: that I hadn't thought possible before wow that's that was really powerful and obviously, you're blessed to have such an, a special experience with an octopus that not many people will have. But you've written it so beautifully in the book, and it really takes the whole book to grasp what the soul of an octopus is. Um, so I'd love everybody to read it. And, and just going on to the importance of having animals as friends. And we're doing a little series within the Nature Magic podcast on nature educators. And your latest book is How to Be a Good Creature. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? It's it's a memoir um, told
0: in animals who were my teachers. I'd written a memoir for adults called How to Be a Good Creature. And in it, I picked 13 individual animals who had taught me important life lessons. Well, in this book, it's a picture book for young children with gorgeous, tender illustrations by Rebecca Green, who is a wonderful person. Oh gosh, you would get along so well with her. Um, Children too, even little children, have a lot of life lessons to learn. We often don't appreciate all the stuff that little people have to to learn because they're new to the world. And the animals who had helped me and who I shared with with adults in How to Be a Good Creature, um, my, my editor thought that book could be adapted to talk to the issues that little kids face. Because, and it turned out, this is the amazing thing, I had no idea when I wrote this that it would come out during this time of COVID. And the first sentence in the book is, school isn't the only place to find a good teacher. And now so many children can't even be in school. But the good news is that teachers are all around us. And yeah, sometimes they have two legs, but sometimes they have four or six or eight or eight arms or no limbs at all. And so I I talk about the animals who've taught me um, to find my passion. My first dog, Molly, who was a Scottish terrier. I didn't just want to have a dog when I was a kid. I wanted to be a dog. And the closest I could come to being a dog was to apprentice myself as a very small child to this wonderful Scotty and watch her and learn from her. And I realized what I want to do for the rest of my life is to learn all the secrets of the animals. And I learned that from her, but that that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I have done all my life and it was three emus in australia that showed me the path that i could take to do that and lots of other animals have taught me lessons that children can learn from i mean i went cage diving with great white sharks and i've met lions and tigers and hyenas and animals who people are afraid of and from from them i learned you don't have to be afraid you know don't don't be afraid don't listen to what People say, particularly if they're talking trash. You know, um, hyenas taught me that very much. Even the Lion King has hyenas portrayed as these thieving, nasty scavengers. Well, I went to to know to meet some hyenas in Kenya, and I went to a den where the babies were playing on the den. And oh my gosh, there is the most adorable little fluffy sprites. And they're not even scavengers. Not like being a scavenger is a bad thing, but. It turns out that unlike what the Lion King teaches us, hyenas don't steal food from lions as much as lions steal food from hyenas. So telling kids, you can't just believe what everyone says. Go see for yourself.
1: Yeah, I do remember this stuck in my mind for my whole life, watching a bit of video about a hyena and it was chewing a Coke bottle I think they have the, I know that's terrible because it's glass, but it wanted to get the sweetness of the Coca Cola, but their Mm. jaws are so strong. Oh, yeah.
0: They can chew and eat bones. They can digest bones. Yeah, their jaws are immensely strong. I, I actually had the pleasure of having a hyena's head in my lap in the back of a truck going over a very bumpy, uh, track. Um, and I was very aware of how strong those jaws are. Wow. <laughs> Aina had been tranquilized, but he seemed to be waking up and opening his
1: mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, I have to go back to ask you, how did the three emus show you your path?
0: Oh, wow. Well, I, um, I'd always loved animals, and I'd always loved writing. And once I learned to read I realized how powerful writing could be in showing people how wonderful animals were so I I had become a um, I, I went to college and I became a journalist I was working for a newspaper and I was covering science and medicine and environment and I had an opportunity to to join. um, I had a chance to go to Australia. My father bought me a ticket. I'd always wanted to go to Australia because of all the marsupials there. And those animals are so different from the animals that we know everywhere else. But I didn't just want a vacation. I wanted to actually see if I could volunteer somewhere. So I joined this organization called Earthwatch. And Earthwatch pairs paying laymen with scientific projects around the world. So I went to this Actually, it was a wombat preserve in South Australia and loved it so much working there, studying these wombats, that to make a long story short, um, when the principal investigator said, hey, you know, I can't hire you. I can't buy you a ticket back here. But if you ever wanted to come back and study something at my campsite, you know, I'd give you food. I went and quit my job and moved to a tent in the Outback. And I followed these three emus who I met around all day to see what they did. No one had done this. So I realized in those six months that I lived in a tent in the Outback, everyone told me I was crazy to do it. I quit a job that was making good money. I had health insurance, all that stuff. But I realized this is exactly what I wanna do. I am dedicating my life to following the lives of animals. And telling their stories. So the emus showed me
1: the way. That's lovely. That really is. What's the most surprising thing that the emus did while you were following them? They showed
0: me their sense of humor. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. It was a riot. There was a ranger and he had a dog who was staked out on a long chain. And dogs will chase emus. Emus, for those who don't know, are sort of they're ratite birds, like ostriches. They stand as tall as a man, but they can run 40 miles an hour. And they very they can't fly, but they have very strong legs. So um, they understood that uh, Dean Newell, the ranger, that his dog was on a chain. So they crept up in front of the dog jumped up, flung their necks around, took their little stubby wings and wiggled them, kicked to the air with their feet. The dog is going crazy. He was just rushing to the end of his chain and being, you know, bouncing back and barking and going nuts. And they're just doing this to harass him. (laughs) They think it's hilarious. And then when they're done, they just walk away, sit down and just preen. It was hilarious. And that showed me that they did that just
1: for fun. Oh, that is so funny. You've got lots of books that you've written yourself. Do you have a book or two that you'd like to recommend uh, to the listeners?
0: For adults? um, Well, The Soul of an Octopus, it's an exploration of consciousness as well. I mean, the octopuses that I met really helped me consider you know some of the hard questions of philosophy although it's not a book of philosophy and I'm not a philosopher nor am I a scientist but I would love for people to meet the octopus characters Mm -hmm. in that in that book and um uh the good good pig I would I would love for your listeners to meet Christopher Hogwood, because he was just such a great guy he was such a sweetheart and he had a terrific sense of humor too
1: Yeah, Um, you were telling me earlier that he was very tender to a sick child that visited him at some stage.
0: Yes, she, she her name was was Kelly and she had brain cancer. She died of it, in fact. And uh, it was so moving that her parents would bring this frail little girl and leave her in the care of a 750 pound black and white pig with giant sharp tusks. And know that he would be absolutely tender with her. And when they were together, they entered into this timeless moment in which there was no room for pain or fear or cancer. All there was was a friendship between this lovely little girl and this wonderful friendly, sweet, sensitive, funny pig.
1: What would you like people to do to support nature and wildlife?
0: Well, there's so many ways we can help. That's the good thing. I mean, one, we can certainly help with our votes and in the United States, um, I think many people spoke out for animals in the last election, which is why we have our current president. But in addition to this, we can choose to help animals with every meal we have. The less meat you eat, I've been a vegetarian for, gosh, uh, forty years now. Um, whenever we choose to eat something, you know, something that isn't an animal, we're sparing an animal's life and we're helping keep our planet clean. We also have a chance when we go to the to the store. Don't buy buy plastic stuff. It's it's killing sea animals and birds and it's it's the most it's just deadly poison don't use plastic whenever you can avoid it Um, there's so many other ways but those are those are three things you know we can all do in our in our daily lives vote for animals
1: choose more plant meals and avoid plastic absolutely those are three great suggestions and if you did have that magic wand what would you like to do for the planet? Well, I hope we
0: are now starting to address climate change. That is the number one thing that I would change.
1: I would, I would just, I would
0: just get rid of fossil fuels. Blam!
1: I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the other animals that you've loved. Well, you know what? Um,
0: I'll tell you about Thurber. He's my, he's my border collie right now. He's five years old, and he is the animal with whom i close both my adult memoir and becoming a good creature because what he showed me when he showed up i was not expecting to have a puppy come into my life no one was expecting this guy to show up he he was born to a family of great herders and all of them are you know go into professional herding but This border collie was born with a blind eye. And I like to say he has one blind, one good eye, and one blessed eye. Uh Because if he hadn't been born with a blind eye, he wouldn't have come to me at a time when I just felt my whole life was ending. My previous border collie had died. It just, Christopher Hogwood was gone. Um, So many things seemed to be ending. And then this puppy came into my life. And what he taught me is that no matter how dire things seem, There could be something wonderful waiting for you just around the corner.
1: I think that's a perfect, perfect place to end the interview. Thank you so much, Sai. It's been a blast. I loved hearing the stories. So funny and just so inspiring. I put everything in the show notes for everybody to have a look at. And thank you. Thank you,
0: Mary. And thank you. And give my regards to all of your animals that you're taking care of, especially the pigs.
1: I will. I certainly will. Thank you for listening to Nature Magic, a positive voice for nature from Ireland. The winner of the January review draw is Jake Gannon. Thank you, Jake. To enter into the February draw and win over 100 euros of Irish gifts from the Burren Nature Sanctuary Shop, Please rate and review the podcast and send a screenshot or photo of your review to mary at We have some really wonderful guests lined up, so keep tuning in every two weeks. Breaking news, Frank the Llama is in the process of starting a new career. Add Frank to your Zoom. He will log in and join your work meeting or family get together. Keep an eye on the Burren Nature Sanctuary Instagram or Facebook to find out when he launches. And don't forget to check out the Nature Magic book available on Amazon. Find all the links in the show notes. Thank you.